Good morning. Am I on? Can you take this stuff? Thanks, bud. Good morning. How are you all? Wonderful. What a great time of worship. Really, just what a great time of worship. Man, I get all organized, and then I worship, and I become all disheveled. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's the way it should be. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to see you all. And um, I wonder if we could, can I ask you guys to stand one more time? Well, that's not true. You'll stand many times in your life. So, uh, just whenever it comes to the Word, it's just, just an honor for God's Word. And uh, so I'm just going to pray, and we're just going to jump right in this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Holy Spirit, that as Your Word says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And I pray this morning that Your Word would pierce hearts, that there would be revelation, genuine revelation that would change lives, families, and most of all, our relationship with you, Lord. May we ever be growing, growing and growing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, started last week with a series called Acts and Origins. Hi, by the way, to all those online. It's good to see you. Well, that's not true. I'm not seeing you. It's good to know that you're there. Uh, it's good to be seen, yes. We are looking at the book of Acts, and the reason I called it Acts and Origins is um, it's good to know the origins of something. You know, it is in the nature of, have you ever played that game, um, what's it called, Broken Telephone? Is that the, is that the name of the game? Telephone. telephone, just telephone, all right. And you know, you start something on one side, and by the time it gets to the other side, it's not the same thing, right? And so we have it here, and it's, come, it's to come back to this and to say, what does it actually say? What did it mean? And what did it change them? How, what happened? Because if I look through the body of Christ, um, and this is it's no means a rebuke. It's actually a, just a, something that's really strongly on my heart. It's just the body of Christ in general. And we see the Spirit of God is still alive and present today, but it seems... You know, it seems that if you look in Scripture, you have so many people say, I wish it was like that. Well, we weren't there in those days, and we don't really know what it was like. And secondly, when you read the book of Acts, we think every day was, from, the, from one day to the other, was exactly like that. But it was over years, over years, and we get snippets. We don't see the in-between. Hello? Yeah, it's actually quite encouraging. But what, what did it? What took the, the disciples from the ones who ran away from Jesus, who ran away from the cross and denied Him and so forth, to the disciples that you see in the book of Acts, to the apostles that you see in the book of Acts? What changed? And we know it was obviously the Holy Spirit. And there is a big difference. There is a big, big, big difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And in the Western world, we have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge. Too much. And knowledge puffs up. And so we know a lot about God. You know, and we can answer questions it's like we're, you know, Christian experts. But it doesn't necessarily mean we know Him. And in this book, what has been recorded by Jesus is that eternal life is to know Him. Is to actually know Him. And so that's why we always say here in this church that 
our great mission, our great vision is to build a culture where people can know God. And I believe with all my heart in the planning of churches, I really do. But I also believe that even that can become just a religious exercise. Because, you know, if you look at our neighbors, your actual physical neighbors, what is more helpful to them? A church, another church planted in this, in this community that they'll never hear about, or a neighbor who walks with God? It's wonderful. So, we're going to just jump right in. Last week I started, can you open your Bibles? I pray that you have an actual Bible and that the pages aren't still stuck together. That'll be nice. Yeah, it's good to read it. Very, very helpful. And I'm just going to start reading. I, I cannot obviously recap all of, all of last week. I'd like to recap a little bit quickly. And we're not going to obviously go through the entire book of Acts. We're just going to go through just the beginning parts. And I'm looking at this, and we're looking at this as people who, as if we were there. What did it mean for them? What was it like for them? If you were on the ground, what, would have, what was actually going on in their heart? And I try to do that when I look at specifically the New Testament, um, because on the culture, and what, when they said this, what did they mean? What did it mean for them versus what we've taken to mean? Because when we do that, sometimes it's a little bit more work, a little bit of study, and we'll do some study today. We're so excited, right? Wow. Yeah. But it offers up revelation. That's why. And revelation changes you. It's not information. It's transformation. So, let's go to Acts chapter 1. We read this last week. We're going to read a big portion of Scripture today a few times. Let's go to Acts 1, verse 4. And Jesus says, And he being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Who was here last week? Okay. When did he hear that from them? In the farewell discourse, John 14, 15, 6, John 13 to 17. That's what we went over a little bit last week. He says, Wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, very important, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, I said this last week, I'll say it again. Note that he doesn't say no, he just says not yet. He says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. The word seasons is better translated era, like an, like an era. The times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, if you look at those on a map, it's like ripples, bigger rings. It's ever-expanding. And he says, you shall receive power. Now, when he talked to them of the Holy Spirit, the last night before he was crucified in the farewell discourse, he spoke many things about the Holy Spirit. But the one word he never mentioned was power. Never mentioned power. And he said, you've heard of this, but now you will be baptized with him. And we know from last week, he breathed on them in John 20. They became saved. They received a new nature. They were changed. They received a divine nature. They were different inside. And then he says to them, wait, 
until you receive the promise of my Father, and you will receive power. Because being saved, when a person gets born again, that's the word Jesus used, you get, you get reborn. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. There's actually two Greek words. None of this is in my notes. We're in trouble already. There's, there's two Greek words fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. One means inward filling. That's salvation when you get saved, born again. You breathe. He breathed the Spirit into them. And the other one means outward filling. It's kind of like being smeared with something, which is actually what the word anointing means, to be smeared. And so he says you will be baptized. You will be fully immersed in the Spirit of God. Fully immersed. The one is for you. The ministry of the Spirit inside you to change you, to transform you. The other is for others to be equipped with power. You know that you can be mightily touched by God and doesn't actually mean that that's taken place? In Acts chapter 8, we're in, we're in real trouble. In Acts chapter 8, it says with, uh, in Acts chapter 8 verse 6, Philip was down to Samaria and says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Whole city, great joy. People got saved, delivered, set free, like a revival, powers, signs and wonders. Then Peter and John hear about this in Jerusalem, so they go down to check, hey, what's going on here? This is wonderful. And they go down, and it says here, when the apostles heard, they went to Samaria, and then in verse 15, when they had come, they prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. <laughs> to be touched and changed by God is beautiful. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be equipped to do what he's called us to do. But unfortunately, we get so religious about it. And we has to look like this, and it has to follow this pattern, and this, and then this will happen, and there's this evidence. And a lot of that is not so clear in here. That's man's structure. All right, so. Wow. Where are we? Jesus said in John 14, they'll throw up three scriptures behind me, that when he, the helper, comes, he will convict the world. When he, the helper, comes, I will send you the helper. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I will send you another helper. That word another means another of the same sort. So the Holy Spirit will be everything to you, he's saying to his disciples. The Holy Spirit will be everything to you, I am to you now. So I have to leave so I can send him. And he will be to you who I've been to you. He will be your teacher. He will guide you. He will empower you. He will teach you. He will bring revelation to you. He will take of what is mine and make it everything. And it's like that for us today. It's like that for us today. So, we ended last week with Peter's sermon. I'm just going to kind of pick up from where we left off. Are we good? So, he says to them, wait. So, they go, wait. What was the prerequisite for the Holy Spirit, for them being baptized in the Holy Spirit? It wasn't some list of laws. It wasn't some, it was two things. Jesus had to leave. That's what he said. I have to go, so I sent him. And number two, they have to wait in Jerusalem. That's all they knew. So they do that. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. We'll go, we're going to read Acts chapter 2 multiple times. This week, last week, next week, maybe the week after. So 
this happens, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes in power. A sound fills the room. You think about it, a sound so powerful that thousands of people gathered. How do I know? Well, that's what it says in Acts 2. It says those many heard the sound, and that's why they came to where they were. Thousands, because at least 3,000, 3,000 got saved. <laughs> a sound so, so loud that you, you, on your day, you're going, the sound comes from heaven. And you stop what you're doing, what's going on over there? That's literally what happened. And they go over there, and there's people, I'm just doing this, saves time, speaking in other languages supernaturally by the Spirit. And they see these tongues of fire. There was no fire. It was likened unto fire. Now, Israelites, they were quite comfortable with that. Not comfortable as it wasn't amazing. Pillar of fire led them out. Fire came to the temple. It's the same fire, but now it's on individuals. New covenant. It's no longer national. It's an individual. So they see this, and they see these people speaking the wondrous works of God, the wondrous works of God in languages that they never grew up with. And the people who didn't understand the languages, Judeans and those who dwell in Jerusalem, said they're drunk. They thought they were babbling. The people who did understand the languages were amazed and marveled. So Peter stands up to preach. He's now explaining what's going on. You know, there's preaching that signs and wonders can confirm. The Bible says when you preach that signs and wonders will come to confirm the gospel, what has been preached. And there's preaching that comes to explain what's just happened. It's the best type of preaching. It's wonderful because I've, I've been, by the grace of God, we were in a meeting, my wife and I, and God broke out. And I'm talking the glory of God came and shook those people for about four hours. And afterwards, we were away at a retreat, and I went and sat down in my bed. And one by one, they came in past me, through past my dorm, with the, like the room where the door was open. And they just sat down and said, what happened? And I got to go to Acts, say, that happened here. And they listened with different ears. So Peter stands up and says, Peter, standing up at the 11, verse 14, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. So he's addressing the people who didn't understand. They didn't know all those other languages. He says, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and I'm my men servants and I'm my maidservants. Let's go down to verse 22. It says, men of Israel. See, now he's speaking to the whole crowd. It's also a term of respect. Men of Israel. I'm speaking to those who didn't understand the language. What you see is that what Joel prophesied. Now for the whole crowd, listen to me. That's what he's doing. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus <laughs> Spirit of the Lord. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Say amen. amen. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, 
you have taken by lawless hands and crucified. You know in verse 23 what he's doing? He's giving them grace. He's saying, yeah, you crucified him, but it was God's plan. It's likened unto when Joseph was taken into Egypt, and he reveals himself to his brother and he, brothers, and he says, God sent me here, not you, even though they, they betrayed him and sold him as a slave. It's grace. It's the same, because Joseph was a picture of Christ. They would have known that as Hebrews. It's like, you didn't recognize that in our past, our brothers never recognized Joseph. You've never recognized Jesus Christ. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains, that's the word uh, cords, like you know in Gulliver's Travels when they tie that thing, that giant down, is that. Having loosed the cords of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So, Peter stands up and begins to preach, we're going to read more of it now. Uh, in, in a little while, but first thing that he starts to say is this that you see is what was prophesied by Joel, and it has to do with Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus was the Messiah, and you missed it. That's actually what he's saying to them. Jesus was the Messiah, and he is our prototype, and it's a lot better than you thought. We thought it was an actual kingdom, like a political thing, but it's much more than that. And he starts to explain to them what has happened. How is it possible what I'm seeing? And he starts to explain to them, yeah, that guy you crucified, he was the Messiah. So, then he says, Jesus operated as a man. Now, I want to, I, I ended here last week. I have to take a little bit of time because it's very important. Very important. So, we're going to do a very quick little bit of study. Jesus says here, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, that's his humanity, was a man. Now we know, if we've been in church, if you've grown up in church, we have a doctrine and we say God was, Jesus was fully God and fully man, yeah? We've all heard that. But actually knowing to why and how changes how we live. <laughs> it really does. You see, fully God, what does it mean? Jesus operated as a man filled by the Holy Spirit. In his ministry and in his death, he put off divinity. So let me explain. Fully God, I'm going to throw up a whole bunch of scriptures behind me. I'm not going to read them all because it'll take too long. But Jesus was fully God, so I'll read a few, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father. Fully God. Colossians 2.9, for in him the fullness of the, of the deity dwelt bodily in his body on the earth. The fullness of the deity. Fully God. John 20.28, 20, Thomas, when he did stop doubting, he said, my Lord and my God. For a Jewish person, that, you don't do that. That's Jehovah, El, El Shaddai, Yahweh. He said, my Lord and my God. Fully God. John 17 now, Father, Jesus speaking, praying, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Fully God. John 10.30, straight up, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Makes it really simple. 
Then, he is fully man. 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. John 5. Jesus said, most assuredly, the Son can do nothing of himself, fully man. There he's referencing the works, the miraculous, the miracles. Because he operated in his ministry as a man rightly related to God in submission to the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit. John 5, I can, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. How's this? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me, meaning they could have differed. Not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. They could have differed. He was tempted, the Bible says, in every way like us, but yet was found without sin. Then George Taylor, one of the founders of this church, he, uh, he loves this verse, and if he's watching, this is for you, George. Isaiah 9.6, it gives us the prophetic picture that there's going to come one person, but he's both. told us right in the beginning, for unto us a child, humanity, is born but a son is given. A child is born, but a son, God's son, is given. So, he says, men of Israel, hear these these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This is a very, very simple truth, but it's very profound in impact. Why? Why? Because the disciples believed when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were equipped with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had when he walked on the earth. And they were not wrong. Now, they also believed that they were made worthy to receive this because of his cross. it's, It's so important. But as I said last week, if we long for what we see and hear, we have to believe and see what they believed. And so sometimes that takes an adjustment. Because when the Holy Spirit comes on people in this way, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not one person will do greater works, and not one person will do what Jesus, everything Jesus did. He comes on us collectively. And so in the expression of the local church, in every city in the local church, there's an expression of the body of Christ on the earth. That's why we cannot say we have no need of each other. Some will be prophetic. Some will be apostolic. Some will be for gifts of helps and services. Different, different body, different members, but one body. Jesus was all. No one person will be all, but collectively. So then how important is unity? Think about it. Jesus poured out his spirit, so collective we could be, could be, we could be empowered like he was. Now, why is that so important? This may rock you a little bit. Early Christians believed that the local church in any city should be as effective as if Jesus was in that city. They believed this. That the local church in any city should be the same as when Jesus went to Bethany, as when Jesus went to Capernaum as when Jesus went there, the impact and the power that he had 
should dwell in the body of Christ on the earth. We are the body of Christ on the earth. He said, I have to go. Why? Two body. I have to go, and I will send the Spirit, and my church will be birthed in Acts chapter 2, and my body will be alive on the earth again. Hands, feet, we are, in a sense, that on the earth with the same Holy Spirit. <laughs> the body of Christ in Leesburg is called to be as effective as if Jesus came to Leesburg like when he was on the earth. What would happen if he walked in here? They believed this with all their heart. That's why I believe it says in Acts 2, they were in one accord. They had dealt with all the offenses, all the stuff of humanity, all the stuff. They said, guys, we've got to get that stuff out of here. Because you might be the eye, and I might be the hand, and you might be the foot, and I might be the mouth. But together, together, we are as if he is here. Huh. It's true. But we're sticking our fingers in our eyes. I want to be the eye, and we're jumping. You know, you walk somewhere, and you see a person jumping on themselves and poking themselves in the eye. You say, there's a place for those people. You know, but you know, that's what the church looks like to the world. Fighting each other, and I'm better, and you this, and I'm more anointed, and you don't even understand, and, and I must now, and you mustn't, and just blah, blah. But together, we are called to be as if Jesus walked in Leesburg. That is the truth here. Empowered by the same Spirit, the very Spirit that proceeds from the Father. Same one Jesus had. <laughs> we are limited because of the way we think and because of the way we believe, not because God is holding back. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Hmm. So, secondly, as we said, death could not hold him, the cords of death. Jesus did die, but he could not be held from this. So this is what Peter's preaching. This is the explanation for what's happening over there. Yeah, Jesus died, but he couldn't be held by death. Now, the reason he quotes, let me quickly read. He quotes two things. Well, let's read. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, he shall go back. Verse 24. Big deal. One verse. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He's quoting Psalms. You have made known to me the ways of life. You have made me, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Then he stops quoting and he says, Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, he was a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, his line, according to the flesh, in other words, according to natural, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, and that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. All these 120 people that are doing this stuff, we all saw it. Right? 
Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heaven, now he quotes another psalm. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord, that word there is Jehovah, Yahweh in the Psalms. God, the Lord said to my Lord, that word is king. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So he says, death could not hold him. And he starts quoting Psalms. Now for the modern believer, we're like, that's nice, buddy. We know that death couldn't hold him. We get that. But why this? Why, why, why use this? Because the covenant that God made with David was that the Messiah will come from your line and sit on the throne forever. And to them, this was everything. So they looked for the Messiah, and they thought it was a political kingdom. And what did it start with? The very last thing they had to be adjusted before he left. Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, no. No, not now. You don't understand yet. You know when you know something in your heart and then you're like, hmm, I was wrong. So Peter stands up to these people knowing like him, they're looking for something and that's why they missed Jesus. They're looking for something, but they've painted what it looks like. So he stands up and he says, I know about the Messiah and David, let me explain. That's why he uses all of that. Isn't that interesting? And it's like that for us. We're so sure of something, so we paint what it will look like, and we start telling Jesus what to do. And we're like, why is the Spirit of God not moving? Move. Do it. Do it like this and that, by the way. He says, yeah, not really. So, but why is it not possible that death could hold him? Oh, I want to get into this. He defeated death, my friends, as a man in his humanity. Now, we could do a long story on this, but why is this important? Jesus came and had to die as a man. He had to do, people, if, if, if Jesus would use fully God, his divinity to defeat death, why come to earth? Why suffer? Why go through growing in obedience and wisdom and stature? Why? Because if he did it with his divinity, the word of God, the integrity of God would have been compromised. And God's word wouldn't stand. So he had to come do it as a man. Because man sinned, it had to be a substitutionary sacrifice. It had to be a man, but the blood had to be spotless. He had to be pure. So what defeated death then? It was the sinlessness. He was tempted in every way as we are, but he was yet without sin. Why? The wages of sin is death. That's why we sang it today. The boast, what was that word? This, to silence the boast of the, of the grave, of sin in the grave. What's the boast? Everyone who's ever entered has been held fast. Why? Because they were born with sin. So even if they behave well, they will be held fast by death because they're born with it. So Jesus comes born without it. And he lives 
empowered by the Holy Spirit in obedience to his Father. And when he went down, friends, the Bible says after he died, he descended into the depths of the earth and he faced off death. Death had never seen this before. If there was a long line, I've said this many times, and death is standing there, everyone, even Adam, who's ever stood there, the wage, it's, I'm owed to you. It's a wage. You've worked for me, death, all your life. The wages of sin. Oh, you, I see sin. I'm owed to you. Then Jesus comes down. Death's like, <laughs> help me, devil. I don't know what, what's going on here. Sinlessness. Perfection. And through that, he defeated death. He had to do it as a man to pay the sacrifice, the substitution for you. Paul says this, if you're struggling with this. <laughs> I said he didn't die only for you. He died as you. So you could be free. Paul says, for since by man came death, by man came resurrection. See that? By man came death, by man came resurrection. For as an animal all dies, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. <laughs> then he says, Jesus rose from the dead and is alive right now. We read that. Then he says, Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit. What you see is, he says, you see and hear all the stuff? Jesus did that. That's Jesus, the guy you crucified. Yeah, he did that. Then he says, Jesus ascended into heaven. It says that. Sit at my right hand. He ascended into heaven and right now is seated at the right hand of majesty on high king of kings. That was Peter's sermon. It says at the end, with many other words he testified. We don't know what he said. But the beginning of his sermon starts with the cornerstones of the truth of the gospel is that it's about Jesus Christ. He was the Messiah. And then it says in verse, if you can go to verse, I was going to read it all, but in verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayer. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Those things, those things that I listed for you, were the beginning of the apostles' doctrine, and it became the New Testament. But it says they continued steadfastly in it. Why? Because everything changed in one day. Everything changed. Everything changed. It's like they would say to him, yeah, you remember that sound you heard? Yeah, that was the promise of the Father. He told us he would send it. He did say it. We didn't understand it. We thought it would be something else. Then it came. Then we were changed. Now we understand. So now we're telling you. And they're like, oh. He's like, oh, and you, it's a gift. It's a gift. Of the, it's not like the law, like all you know. You don't have to do anything. It's a gift. Then it says what? Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore, let the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? The word there is their hearts were pricked. It says that in the King James. It means pierced through, pierced right through. One of the Greek explanations is pierced through further than the sword. The, the spear went into Jesus' side. It went further. It went all the way through. Pierced through. It can be likened unto sorrow, a godly sorrow. 
who's experienced that, pierced through. It can be likened unto a deep desperation which throws off, you throw off dignity to acquire something. Desperation. It can be sudden and a terrible recognition of your personal state and that you are in great need of rescue. It can be a deep ache. I mean, I can't, it could be many things, but these are things I've experienced. A deep ache in your heart knowing that you are not okay. It pierced right through. Have your hearts been pierced before? Has your heart ever been pierced like that? Mine has. Many of yours has. Pierced right through. Wow. Everything, dignity, you throw everything off. What must I do? Jesus said when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what happened. They were pierced like they'd been stabbed. They said, what must we do? We'll do anything. Why did they say that? What must we do? Because they were still thinking under the law. Peter said, oh, it's not about what you must do. It's about the way you believe. Give us, must we do sacrifices? What must we do? No, no, no. It's about what you believe. Repent. What's he saying repent from? Repent from thinking you knew. From thinking you were right. Repent from self-righteousness. Just repent. You were wrong. Repent. Change the way you think. That's what that word means. Repent. And be baptized. And he says, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read it to you. When they heard this, it says, Peter, they said to Peter, repent. Then Peter said to them, verse 38, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. The promise is what? The promise of the Father is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord God will call. It's not about what you must do. It's about what you believe. You know, in the Old Testament, at the outset of the law, at the covenant made with Moses on Mount Sinai, you know that it says there about 3,000 died that day? That day. It says about 3,000. You know, it says here, he testified, be safe in those, verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized in about 3,000. It's the same in the Greek, old and new. About. About 3,000 died. The outset of the new covenant, about 3,000 were saved. At Mount Sinai, it says, it was consumed in smoke because the Lord descended on in fire. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the children to stay away. That's the law. Here, that same fire comes in individuals and it draws people near. The Tower of Babel, the Lord supernaturally put multiple tongues in the mouths of humans. And what did it cause? A great division and a dispersion all over the face of the earth. Here, the Holy Spirit puts supernatural tongues in the mouth of humans and it brings everyone together. Everything redeemed. It says, we good for a little bit more? It says they continued in it. What does that mean? 
What does it mean they continued in it? Well, they didn't know what to do. And I'm going to show you this. Acts 5.20, an angel comes and says, go stand in the temple courts. They let them out of prison, actually. You can go read it later. And tell the people about this new life. What would have become increasingly apparent to them as they continued? Well, in Acts 2, here it says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We read it, on your sons and daughters, young men, old men, men servants, maid servants. So imagine now, I'm going to speak to you as if we were one of those people, just briefly. In the last days, so now they're saved, they go home and they're walking home. Now they've got to go explain things to their family. They're on the way home and they think in the last days. So we're in a new dispensation now. And this is the Messianic kingdom. Because they always knew the Messianic will usher in the kingdom. That's Old Testament language. When the Messiah comes, usher in the king. They thought political. So it's a Messianic kingdom. But Peter told me that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So yeah, that's different. You know? So it's not like, huh. So we need the Holy Spirit. So now everything changes. Everything changes for them. Everything. Pentecost changed their worship. They would have realized as they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Oh, sacrificial system, that's over. Jesus was a once-for-all sacrifice. So what does that mean? Imagine. (laughs) Means there's no more earthly mediators. I don't have to go to any other person to go to God. I just go to Him. So a lot of priests are about to be put out of work. That's probably what he would have thought. I must go tell uncle, you know, so-and-so. He ain't got a job. The fire of God was on each person. The woman too. Huh. All our feasts have ended. They were there celebrating feasts of Pentecost. Feast of Passover. That's why they had come to Jerusalem. Now he's like, no more feasts? They all pointed to Jesus. He was the Passover. This was the Pentecost it was pointing to. No more feasts. It's no longer about everyone becoming Jewish through proselytism into that pros- as a proselyte. It's actually about us now. Peter said it was about us becoming like him. It changed their whole worship structure like that. Changed their community. Peter said what? Sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men, young men, old men, men servants, maidservants. It's no longer about gender. It said sons and daughters. It says all shall prophesy. That doesn't mean they're all prophets. That means the realm that was only previously open to prophets, kings, priests, and judges in the Old Testament is now open to all of God's people. Basically, he wants to talk to me. He wants to communicate with all of his people individually, not through, oh, well, that looks a lot like what we have today. Oh, the pastor will tell me. (laughs) He wants to communicate with all of God's, with all of us. Young men and old men. No longer age requirement. No longer about social status. Men servants, maid servants. Think about this. No more to do with nationality, age, race, gender, social status. It's the great equalizer. It changed their community completely. 
That's why they had to draw out and become separate. Pentecost changed their homes. Imagine that discussion. You go home. Sorry. These men would go home and their wives and children were there. Think of an eight to ten-year-old little Jewish boy. He's been going to temple all his life, studying to try and memorize the, the Torah so that maybe he can go to rabbinical school. And if not, then trade. Then dad comes home. So I'm, I've written out something. I'm just going to read. Daddy's home. You know, daddy's home from work. <laughs> daddy's home from temple. He sits his family down. Son says, Dad, what's going on? He says, well, son, we missed it. Jesus was the Messiah to come. But Daddy, didn't you crucify him? That's what would have happened. You said he was a criminal. You said that's why he deserved to die. You said he lied. You said he was a deceiver. Yeah, I was wrong, son. And Jesus, that Jesus, he has changed my heart in a way that I can't explain right now. So must we go to temple now, Dad, and make sacrifices? Mm. <laughs> we don't, I don't think we have to do that anymore. I also think we may eat differently. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I'm not, I'm not really too sure. Maybe our clothes will change too. Then he turns to his daughter. He says, I'm not sure, but your life will change too. Because there were women there today doing exactly what the men were doing. There seemed to be no distinction. <laughs> Everything changed. Everything changed. <laughs> What's the point? It wasn't comfortable. It was extremely uncomfortable. And yet, they remain more unified than the churches today when they had far more reason for offense and disunity. But most of all, lastly, Pentecost changed their hearts. Imagine that man growing up in that system, suddenly going, God loves me? M me? As an individual, Yahweh loves me, Adonai. He sees me, not just Israel, me. <laughs> and I can speak to him whenever I want. I can be in his presence. Friends, imagine, why did they pray like they did? All their lives they had been told about this, the stories about the most holy place that no person had ever been in except for high priests. All their lives, there's a veil, son. And behind that veil, God lives in between the cherubim. Only one man can go in there once a year, without, not without blood. Moses went in there. Aaron. All their lives. And now they, Peter told me that that was torn from top to bottom, that veil, by the hand of God. And he's come out to us and actually wants me to be in his presence anytime. I can guarantee you that's the first thing they prayed about. I get to be in that place? <laughs> we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, church. It's a gift but he still comes to change your worship 
He still comes to change your communities. He still comes to change your home. He still comes to change your heart. That hasn't changed. <laughs> and you are still his temple. <laughs> we'll leave it there. The presence of God. <laughs> One of you can just ask the Holy Spirit. Just quiet where you are. Fill me, please. Change me. Help me. Show me. Transform me. Holy Spirit, the church is the body of Christ on the earth. Show us again, I pray. Show us again. We humble ourselves before you. And we thank you for the great gift of the Holy Spirit, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remind us that we are yours. And that you want to speak to us. And that you love us. I thank you. I thank you. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. I hope that was helpful.